everyone and welcome back to another episode of the TV That Changed Me podcast. I'm Beth Watson and today we're discussing Queer as Folk. Earlier this year, It's a Sin, a five-part series released by Channel 4, gripped the nation with its heartbreaking portrayal of a group of queer friends living through the HIV-AIDS crisis in the early 1980s. But 30 years before its release, its creator Russell T Davies sent shockwaves through British television with a very different portrayal of an LGBT friendship group. Queer as Folk was released in 1999 and told the story of three gay men living in Manchester. Unlike It's a Sin, the show shed very little light on the pandemic the community had lived through over the past 10 years and was still living through at the time, and instead focused on the raucous nightlife of Manchester's infamous Canal Street. The protagonists were Nathan, a wide-eyed 15-year-old out on the gay scene for the first time, Stuart, a loose cannon and playboy, and his reliable friend Vince. With its risque sex scenes and drug fueled partying, the show was shocking for a time when there was very little gay representation on British TV. And as we'll hear from our guest today, its impact was felt all around the world. And I'm super excited to be talking about it with Ben and Benja from Bareback Podcast, who will be giving us an insight into how this show impacted their very own coming out stories. So let's get to it. My name's Ben. And I'm Benka. And we are a couple. We live together in Warwickshire in England, and we have our own podcast called Bearback. We are both bears, which if you don't know what a bear is, it's basically a, a large, hairy, gay man. And we kind of embrace that and we're proud of that. And, and, and essentially the podcast is the pair of us looking back on, on our kind of lives and cultures because I'm British and I'm Argentinian. So although we've had very similar upbringings, obviously growing up, the other side of the Atlantic from one another, there are lots of things where we kind of, oh, that was very different for you. That was very different for me. And I think particularly during lockdown, when we were, you know, literally living on top of each other for however long it was, we didn't really argue. But when we did argue, (laughs) it was always about these kind of little quirks of our cultures. And do you remember when we had that big argument where we didn't speak for two days? And it was all because Ben didn't know who Kate Bush is you didn't wait a minute you didn't speak for two days because Ben didn't know who Kate Bush is but I was like you're a gay man how can you not know who international singing sensation Kate Bush is and I challenged Ben's concept of what international means and that how's the that's how the argument developed when I think that what Ben says that something is worldwide <laughs> his vision of the world is a little bit uh, it means the UK and you, the US and maybe Australia. Mm. <laughs> That's very interesting. I mean, what do you think of Kate Bush now? Uh, how you've been introduced? There's a very strange song. That, uh, is it that Babushka one? Babushka, yeah. Running up the hill. Babushka, yeah. It's a really strange sound to me, I have to admit. Mm. Uh, yeah, I can imagine if you'd never heard of Kate Bush before, coming to her work at this late point, you would be like, what the fuck is that? I know, <laughs> that was exactly my reaction. I think she lives quite near us, actually. I think she lives in the Cotswolds. Is she still alive? Yes, she's not that old. I, I, to be honest as well, the thing is, I was introduced to Kate Bush, but I haven't really done a lot more research on her uh, further than that. I've listened to what I was presented, and I kind of left it at that. Anyway, I love it, and I love that that's such a nice idea for a podcast anyway. Just like the the little bits of cultural differences that don't seem like a big deal until you realize that your partner doesn't know who Kate Bush is that's yeah and that's when it all goes yeah and apparently other people relate to us as well because you know we we get a lot of feedback from people every week who are like yes I'm in a transnational couple this is the same thing for me or I grew up in the UK and I didn't think that that was a weird thing and now I'm kind of um you know putting my whole existence into context so you know (laughs) it's quite nice (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about queer as folk. So I'm really interested to know, Ben, like, was this big in Argentina as well? Did you know about this? Did you know about this before? 
Or is this another thing like Kate Bush you've had to learn about? No, I did know about it before. So there was this cable channel back in Argentina called ISAT, which used to play, used to be sort of the alternative TV channel, if you like. And uh, whereas TV in Argentina tends to be mostly Argentinian and then the rest tends to be from the US. There's not a lot of of British television in Argentina, so and this channel used to play a lot of different uh, British uh, shows from the IT Crowd uh, to Miranda and Queer as Folk, um, and it was also as well the risque channel that used to, yeah, you know, all of those shows. Um, what you would call a, a documentary nowadays, uh, um, but about sort of sex. Probably your typical Channel 5. Sex <laughs> countdowns. I mean, I wouldn't put Channel 5 and Risque in the same category, but there you are. Well, some, something of the sorts. You know what I mean. Yeah, so Queer as Folk was, um, I was there in 1999. I was 16, 17 uh, and when it came out uh, that year on that channel. Uh, and for me, it was... I, th- I think that for me, the thing uh, about Queer as Folk that was really, really shocking and at the same time mind-blowing and mind-opening was the fact that in Argentinian television, in the 90s particularly, there weren't a lot of references to homosexuality other than as a mockery. So basically, it would be making fun of the camp gay man. So actually, seeing a show where the characters are... Uh, not only unapologetically gay, but also the very, very strong personalities, uh, particularly uh, the, the character of Stuart, mm. that is a, a very imposing, strong personality that doesn't take any bullshit. It, it was something that absolutely hooked me. And I think that it hooked a lot of the gay community back in Argentina. I think that it was very, very popular among the, uh, the gay community there. Something I read when I was looking doing some research for today was that it it really was an unapologetic portrayal of gay life especially coming out on the back of the HIV and AIDS epidemic it's like to have something that's so overtly sexual and so over like so risque at that period of time was really quite groundbreaking and what do what do you think in the UK then do you think it had a similar effect oh yeah I mean I mean you know I think people use the word groundbreaking a lot these days but certainly for this series for me it was you know I, I think it was the unexpectedness of it that it just kind of like came out of anywhere it came out of nowhere and for me if you kind of look at the historical context that this program was made in and we're obviously talking about the UK series here that came out in 1999 um, the British attitudes at that time were not what they are now. In fact, there was a survey done, uh, a British social attitude survey done in 1999, and it said that 49% of people thought that homosexual relationships were either always wrong or mostly wrong. So that's at the same time this program's coming out. In fact, the first episode of uh, Queer as Folk that aired, it aired the same day that the House of Lords debated the Sexual Offences Bill which eventually reduced the age of consent. So, you know, we're living in a time where the age of consent for homosexual couples was not the same as it was for for, for straight couples. The um, homosexuality was only partially decriminalised in 1967, so it was still banned between more than two people. You couldn't photograph or distribute pornographic material of, 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 of gay sex. And also, if you had it anywhere other than a private home, you could be arrested for it. And in fact, that did happen in 1998. Seven men were convicted under these laws in in Bolton. And of course, the other thing as well, which a lot of people uh, will be aware of, is that Section 28 was still in force. So the government policy that banned the promotion or mention of homosexuality in public authorities um, was still still in force. So all of this was kind of in the background of this programme coming out. Now, we had obviously the Labour government who came in in 1997 with New Labour and Tony Blair. And I think there was a lot of hope and expectation among people that things were changing, but they hadn't changed yet. And perhaps they weren't changing fast enough for the way that, you know, the community rightly uh, wanted it to. So I think really, you know, it's really important when you think of this programme in, in, in kind of the, the, the actual social historical context that it came out in. It wasn't like 
it was a product of where society was heading. It was almost kind of a, right, let's hold a mirror up to society and show everybody what is really happening in Manchester, in Birmingham, in London. And actually, these people do exist and they deserve a voice because they're not getting it anywhere else. And of course, you mentioned the AIDS crisis. Of course, that was still looming. But the press was still hostile. I mean, every week, you know, it was almost like a scandal. They were desperate to out a politician or out a celebrity. And although that kind of happens today, it's much more positive. Back then, it was kind of, you know, and and, and Ben talked about the way that um, homosexuals were portrayed in Argentine television. Here in the UK, I I would say, and, and in Hollywood as well, you know, throughout the 70s and 80s, gay men were always the villain. Um, whereas I think what was great about Queer as Folk is you've got the heroes, the villains. There's there's the whole plethora of, 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 of LGBTQ people right across the spectrum. They're all flawed. No one's perfect, but they're real people living real lives. And I think that's what really stood out to, to a lot of people and me, me included in that. Yeah, definitely. And for you personally, were you a similar age? Were you sort of in a teen? Were you a teenager? Yeah, well, I'm a little bit younger than Ben. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a little bit. And don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm no cougar here. <laughs> so the first, the first episode aired on Channel Four in the UK on the 23rd of February. So I was 14. I was just about to turn 15. My birthday's in March, and you know, I was really coming to terms with my own sexuality at that time. So. Um, it wasn't something that I was, you know, I definitely wasn't out, um, but it was, you know, I had a t- TV in my room and I remember I used to watch it with the volume turned right down. Um, you know, my parents were downstairs and my, my brother was in the next room and I knew that friends at school were watching this. And in fact, it's really interesting. I, I, and again, I read this the other day that half of the viewers of Queer as Folk were women. So it wasn't just a, you know, a program that was watched just by just by gay men. But it was one of those things where I really didn't want to discuss it with friends at school because I kind of feared of being outed by just saying that I watched I watched this program. So it was kind of a it was almost like every week I kind of entered this private world. And a world that I knew was there and that was real and one that was waiting for me to explore, but I just wasn't ready to be open and honest about that myself. And I kind of kind of held on to that. But you know, ultimately, and I and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this, the show eventually helped build the confidence within me to to come out you know it, it, it given gay people mainstream visibility which you know I don't think we'd had before we talk about this unapologetic um view as well and it gave me hope I suppose when I most needed it that I knew coming out would be hard but I knew that I would you know I guess through these characters I knew it would be okay and I think as well that it's something that I I'm not sure whether here in the UK was the case, I presume so, but it was definitely the case um, in Argentina that shows like these that um, sort of gave visibility to the gay lifestyle were actually really, really socially important. If anything else, uh, just by sort of giving people that visibility and making people bolder to uh, be themselves and to challenge when they thought that the representation they were getting uh, as gay people was not right. Uh, But also, it gave a lot of people confidence and uh, and trust in terms of what um, families could be like. Because, of course, I I think that a a lot of the parts of the show um, that sort of basically goes around uh, Vince's family and how they all go uh, into uh, Canal Street and sort of the journey that Nathan's mum go in terms of accepting uh, her son's uh, sexuality. I think that it provided a lot of comfort for a lot of people in Argentina, a lot of gay people in Argentina saying, well, actually, most likely your family is is going to love you and mm. uh, uh, you are loved and uh, all of these uh, all of these things that no one really talked about. I, I think that for me, uh, coming out, on one hand, I knew my family and I knew that I would be loved and accepted regardless of whatever I did. Um, but again, I, I, I was scared to death to come out. But because I've never had a good story of coming out all of the stories that you've heard about coming out were about people who were kicked out of the houses people who were homeless uh, people who were rejected by the families those were the stories that you uh, that you heard you didn't hear the good stories and I think I think that does happen in the series though you know there are there are examples of of, of the kind of 
you know, the, 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 I wouldn't say horror stories, but where it doesn't go the way that the characters wanted yeah. to. But I think what, what again, gave me confidence in that is that they had their chosen family. And I know this is very RuPaul and, you know, well, this kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, the kind of things that he would say, but it, but it is true. It's kind of, you know, what, what, what they have in that group of really tight friends who, you know, exist on the scene in, on, on Canal Street in Manchester is that they have their real families, but then they have this other chosen family. And again, that was something that as a, as a, you know, a, as a teenager struggling to come out with your sexuality, you know, not really feeling that you can really talk to your friends about it or your family, knowing that, you know, I could have this other family as well where, where I would feel accepted was, was again, it was, it was really a real big confidence boost. So did you watch Greatest Fog? Growing Mm -hmm. up? Um, Do you know what? No, but I think, I think it was about, I think it was something that I was like culturally aware of and had definitely heard of. But um, I think I was definitely a bit too young for it. No offense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I think I was probably a bit too young for it, but it's definitely something I was culturally aware of. And I think watching it now, I had watched it with a friend um, a couple of years ago the first few episodes and then re-watching some of it um, over the last few days I was like oh yeah I've seen this before this is this is there like it's it's in my mind somewhere but it's not so present to the fact that I could like remember watching it when I was younger or something um but I think what struck me re-watching it was just how brazen it is and not always in a good way like so the first like 10 minutes he's having sex with a 15 year old boy which is just like I know. Can you imagine that what? nowadays? Thinking about showing on TV someone having <laughs> sex with a fifteen-year-old, uh, regardless of gender and regardless of sexuality, mm. and I, I completely agree. That was very, very transgressive. I think it was transgressive. Yeah, the thing it reminded me of, which might be a bit of a stretch, so I'd be interested to think what you guys think. I don't know if you've watched Train Spotting, but like. So train spotting is obviously all, all about the sort of drug culture in um, in Scotland and, and heroin usage and stuff like that. There's the character of the young 15-year-old girl played by Kelly McDonald, who's um, huge now, obviously. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of that. I was like, yeah, these are like human traffic, train spotting, and to a certain extent, queer as folk. They are like these sort of emblematic drug-fueled pieces of media which were a lot about the sort of drug culture in the 90s and they all they do also feature this kind of like innocent party in them don't they they feature like a young girl or a young boy and I think it's it's that way of sort of introducing the audience to this kind of like very risque dangerous situation that they might not be accustomed to I don't know yeah yeah definitely definitely and I mean you know the 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 whole thing about you know Nathan being a 15 year old school child is quite problematic and it's something that you know even watching it now, I'm a bit kind of like, that is really shocking. And I don't think they would get away with doing that today. Um, and, you know, you said it was transgressive. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if that's the right word. Well, I, it can be transgressive, but just not in the right way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and in this case, I don't think it's in the right way. You, you, I, I, the thing is, to some extent, I wasn't 15, but I was 16 the first time I'm, I, I I had sex with another man, so I, I think that it rep- what it showed was a reality. Mm. It showed something that was happening, mm. whether that's right or wrong. That's probably a completely different conversation. I, I, and again, sort of adults, particularly um, almost thirty-year-olds, uh, having sex with underage uh, with underage kids is definitely wrong and definitely something that definitely something that you shouldn't show on TV to something uh, regardless of whether again uh, gender sexuality I, I don't know I'm, when we rewatched it now it did make me feel really uncomfortable but I, I think and again I'm probably playing devil's advocate a little bit here I think one of the thing about Nathan's character is that and, and he he's the the, the, the the aforementioned 15 year old I think he although he's infatuated with Stuart and and that's kind of what propels a lot of the narratives within the series, he's also very much in control as well. Like he makes it quite clear that it's his choice to do that. And and, and he's, he's kind of doing that. And I think that's where you're coming from and that, 
that you know perhaps this is reflecting reality a lot more than we kind of want to admit even 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 today but i think i think going back to your first point as well um there's a lot of taboos in that program that that do echo in in other sort of kind of I want to say kind of kitchen sink dramas. I mean, it's not really kitchen sink dramas. They're kind of like 50s and 60s, but it's the kind of drama that we do very well in this country, that kind of raw, gritty, let's look at, um, you know, the working class, although Stuart's anything but working class. He's probably the epitome of capitalism. Um, But there is that kind of, um, there's a lot, you know, as well as the kind of taboos around sex, there's a lot of drug use in in the programme. And and it does, does touch a lot on mental health as well, which again, you know, we use that term again, groundbreaking, but I can't think of any other programs around that time, maybe this life, where where things like that were, were really at the forefront. So again, it was pushing boundaries in other ways. And the thing with the drug use as well is um, it's very... It's very freely shown, isn't it? It, it, it? I think I think Beth, you mentioned it. It's shown uh, as a recreational thing. It's n- it's not necessarily shown in the first few episodes. Uh, uh, well, in the first two episodes, uh, uh, at least, it's not shown as a bad thing until you go into the next episode and actually one of uh, uh, one of the main characters. So, are, are we allowed to do spoilers? Is that's our spoiler klaxon telling you the next few minutes of the show will contain TV spoilers. Skip ahead if you haven't watched the show yet. <laughs> okay, so spoiler alert, someone dies. <laughs> so, um, as you know, I think it's in the third episode that one of the friends actually um, dies taking drugs with a stranger in, in his house. He has an odd reaction and ends up dying in his own flat. So... It shows drug use as a very free, as a very um, sort of recreational thing. But at the same time, it does show you the other side and the dangers of it. Yeah. And and I think that's that's throughout the program, isn't it? Nothing is ever displayed without consequences. Um, And even even kind of, you know, Stuart's kind of reckless lifestyle does come back to, 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 to sort of bite him, really. Um, and he doesn't get a comeuppance several times. I mean, I, I really found it quite difficult to feel for him. I know he's one yeah. of the main characters. I, I, I assume that's deliberate by... He's by... an unlikable character, isn't he? He's super unlikable. And I think the trend of having a complicated main character began in the 90s and continues till now I think that's that's a lot more trendy now than it would have been 25 years ago to have a complicated and unlikable main character um yeah and it's interesting what you said about um everything having consequences there are consequences to sleeping with Nathan as well like Nathan's obviously becomes besotted and starts being a massive problem for him so that there are consequences there too it's just really it's just so interesting that you're in this kind of political, I don't know, political background of kind of Section 28 and uh, HIV AIDS crisis, all this kind of stuff, that that they were able to create a character that was, that was basically embodying so many different, like, gay stereotypes, but then also in the, like in and amongst all these friends who are much more reserved, like Vince, who's like super into Doctor Who and things. Part of me just wonders, like, how did this get made? <laughs> I, 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 and I think that's a really interesting question. And I, and I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um, no. I know Russell T. Davis had been trying hard for a long, long time to make this programme. And um, he, he always says in interviews that I've seen him um, do, he's obviously the, the writer and director, that you know, it, it, it's a culmination of hundreds and hundreds of stories that he's picked up from his own personal experience and and, and, and from friends and people that he's worked with. So I, I don't think it was something that, you know, I imagine he would have had to have chipped away at this for a long time. Um, but I guess, you know, it was found its home on Channel 4, which, as we know, is a, is a channel that has, throughout its history, pushed boundaries, you know, whether that be in... in, in or, or, all sorts of ways in all kinds of representation. I mean, they did that brilliant thing recently where they had solely black people on the channel for a whole day, you know, and you kind of think, do we really, you know, in, in 2021, you know, that's, that's really vital. So, um, you know, um, channel four is, is, is really pushing that boundary still. And, and if you think, I mean, this program is 20 years old now and we were watching it, you know, this week, 
and it's still as impactful as ever. Of course, some things, you know, the fashion, the flip phones. Oh, I love the flip phone. <laughs> Let's put on a CD. I mean, who does that anymore? Um, apart from when you're in the car. Um, you know, but it has really stood up. To, Which, by the way, was the Motorola StarTac. Oh, you're obsessed with that Motorola StarTac. <laughs> it's his favourite phone of yesteryear. I'm, yeah, I'm obsessed. Um, but it really has stood up, st- stood up to the test of time. I think, obviously, there is. it's not perfect. We've already talked about the Nathan issue. Representation is not great. Um, you know, it's pretty much all white Western people. There are um, um, BAME characters, but they're very much on the fringes um, and they don't really get their time to shine. I think even Russell T. Davis probably realised that. And then, obviously, you know, he's since gone on to make, um, what was it, Cucumber, Banana and Tofu, which was kind of like this multi media so it was on channel four it was on e4 and then it was online um and then obviously which basically if you've not seen that it's like queer as folk but they've all got mortgages it's kind of like the it's kind of like the actors of the, the characters have kind of grown up and the short there are a couple of episodes each isn't it yeah yeah and then obviously he went on to do it's a sin which you know really did address that and there's a much wider spectrum of of, of representation but but moving that to the side it, it, it is so impactful now and it's it's one of those things where I think somebody a, a teenager now who's coming out and obviously it's a different landscape to when we were growing up but I think they will still get a lot out of it and I, I think the part that I'm interested though that I wouldn't be interesting to know Beth is I, your impression on the on the, at least the three main characters because of course um, I have my opinion some bins on Stuart who again completely unlikable for many many reasons uh, on Nathan and, and I know that Ben's um, one of Ben's best friends um, who is not a gay man uh, was for example besotted with with Bins. So oh, she I, had a massive crush on him. So I, I'm really interested in knowing as you not being a gay man so what was when you first watched it was what was your impression of those characters? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I think I think Vince is great. I think Vince is the sort of mother hen character that you find in a lot of in um actually the dynamic between Stuart and Vince is like quite a it's like a well-told story. It's kind of like you have two male best friends and one of them is super outrageous and the other one is much more reserved and that kind of allows you to push the boundaries with that one more wild child character and because you've got Vince like the audience is never too worried um and you see that a lot you see that in shows all the time like you see that in for example How I Met Your Mother The Inbetweeners uh you see it in films like American Pie you see like it's a really it's a common combination but I think the the difference is that I don't know you're kind of because I think maybe because Stuart's gay and I'm queer I am kind of I'm not too like off by his behavior i'm just kind of like oh go on fuck it fuck everyone do do exactly what you want to do you know whereas i feel like the kind of stifler characters the barney and how i met your mother those kind of characters i'm a bit like oh gross misogynist go away so yeah i wasn't so anti-stuart as i could have been uh i thought he was really in i thought he was a bit too um He's like overly characterized, like he's almost like a caricature of himself in the, the things that he does, like always driving so dangerously and like being so reckless with sex and everything like that. And you're just like, OK, yeah, you're, we get it. He's he's a wild card. Vince. Yeah, I really, really I think Vince is maybe the, the character that feels the most believable and realistic. And then Nathan, I just feel so sorry for Nathan. I feel like we're all. We've all been Nathan at one point, maybe not with the age gap, but with the kind of like feeling of being besotted and like wanting to turn up at somebody's door. So that was that was a story that I really, I really enjoyed. And I think I think it's like it's really interesting how, you know, the three leads are so, so different and and, and take you on that journey. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned about, you know, Nathan's innocence. We're kind of seeing the scene, the gay scene in Manchester for the first time through his eyes. And then you've kind of got Vince who is just longing for acceptance. And I think I think if Queerest Folk was made now, and I know that they're rebooting it in America, but I think if it was made now, I think his story wouldn't be as prevalent, I, I would hope, you know, because he, he obviously works in a supermarket and they set him up with... Um, with, yeah, a, with a new employee, with a new employee, and he goes along with it because he wants to. He wants to assimilate. Basically, he doesn't, you know, want to rock the rock the 
bow. And then obviously he then comes out to her and it doesn't particularly end well. I would hope that that wouldn't have to happen now and he could just feel that he could be honest with her straight away. But I think still there is always a part of, well, for me, I'm not speaking on, on behalf of any kind of, on on any kind of community but for me there's always that chip on my shoulder where when I meet somebody for the first time it's like I just need to tell them that I'm gay and get it out of the way you know and and I don't I, I don't care about it it's you know it's just it's just a part of a part of who I am it doesn't define me but I, I do feel that I need to get it off my chest because I'm like are they are they thinking about it are they, do they you know am I you know so I think there's always always going to be a part of Vince in all of us and then of course Stuart I mean yeah I mean I couldn't be further from Stuart you know than the truth but I think there's something about his lifestyle I mean he really I mean we talked about him you know being the epitome of uh, capitalism but there's something about the pink pound and you know this lavish kind of lifestyle that he lives that you know we'd we'd all like given half the chance but I think for me what Stuart um what Stuart's really good is that yes he's not I'm gonna march do like a pride march or anything like that he's not kind of activist but he does it in his own kind of way and I think the scene where he sets fire to the car and stuff is kind of like for me that was that was really powerful you know what I I think that particularly myself and I think that a lot of gay men that I've known I think that you would relate to each one of the three main characters at different times of your life I I feel I, I feel like to some extent I've been all of them I feel like I feel like I've been Nathan going out um, for the first time and being in in the gay scene in my hometown and being completely terrified uh, and sort of starting to immerse myself in uh, in that I think that then particularly when I was um, still in school um, I kind of felt a little bit like Vince and you know when you think about the images of the show that kind of stick with you and of course there's a lot of them that stick for me for (laughs) various reasons and we can discuss that but one of the ones that from Vince that kind of sticks with me is I think it's in the first episode or or, uh, either the first or the second episode where um, there's a couple of guys in the supermarket where he works who are gay and one of the other employees that is his friends m- makes sort of a mockery of them, sort of like being sissies. Uh, and he loves and goes along with it. Whereas then in the same episode, he goes to the pub and makes this whole th- scene about being in a straight place. There's a, it's like a double life, isn't it? It's like a duality yeah. for, for, for beings that I felt at parts of my life, that I needed to hide who I was from certain people. And then during my twenties, I, I kind of went AWOL and I, and I lived my steward life, if you like, my recklessness and from the reckless uh, driving, from the reckless one night stands and uh, and all of the sort. So I kind of feel like I've been all of them at some point. Yeah, and I think that's deliberate, isn't it? It's like a lot of the show, a lot of shows that have a group of friends in it, they tend they tend to draw the char- each character so big and so. Um, excitingly that you could be a part it's like sex in the city they always say it's four parts of the women of a woman so it's like nobody is just one or just the other i think we're all a little bit of a mix of Stuart, vince mm. and nathan as you well. can see that it's very cleverly designed isn't it the show the, the characters are very clearly designed to sort of showcase a certain part of personality as you say that maybe the three of them make a whole a full gay man <laughs> But but I think it's testament to the way that the program's made. He um, Russell T Davies probably thought I've got one shot to make this, and I'm going to make it as near perfect as I can. And so everything, every line, every you know set piece, everything is being carefully crafted because you know as we've seen, it's not like these programs come along, you know every 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 you know, and even today with like Netflix and Disney Plus and everything, you know all the telly that we've got now, I can't think of anything that's had as such an impact um, in the way that Queer as Folk has. Because, you know, without Queer as Folk, I don't think we would have had programmes like RuPaul's Drag Race. I, I, I genuinely mm. don't think that we would have been able to, 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 have, to have that. Because it, 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 although it shocked people, and there are so many shocking scenes in that, particularly in the first episode, that had never been seen on television. I mean, don't forget, the first gay kiss in the UK was only in, um, I think it was 1987. So we're only like just over 10 years after the first gay kiss, and that was on EastEnders. 
um, the, the the British soap opera. So you know, to go from that to what happens in the first episode when there's you know five minutes in full blown sex scene, and then by the end of the episode, you know Nathan's been rimmed. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah, he's really like again then. Nathan, Nathan's been rimmed by Stuart, and that had never been seen on British television before. Well, I don't think it had been seen in television. That one I will accept if you say want to say worldwide, because <laughs> probably that one was a, a worldwide. I can remember being I, I was sixteen, and I'm watching this show that suddenly is showing name sort of semi naked or naked men, and in the first in the first episode you can't you have a steward literally licking Nathan's bum and I'm just looking there at the TV like what the hell did I just see I mean I wonder if there was like families who um, who sat down together I don't know when it was on I presume it would have been on about 10 o'clock but can you imagine that you know sort of middle class white families sitting down to watch this you know with a nice cup of tea oh it's called Queer as Folk oh that sounds interesting and then just seeing that and being I mean I you know, people moan about Ofcom getting hundreds of complaints. I can just imagine how many complaints Ofcom had to deal with that week. I think it was a couple hundred complaints. I don't think it was... I mean, I think it was different complaining to Ofcom back in the day because you obviously would have had to send a letter or something. So, I mean, I mean, they probably did have an online form or something, but it probably would have been a bit like when Stuart's trying to download the photo of the, of the guy he's trying to date. And it's like... Uh, yeah, for context of anyone who hasn't seen that bit, it's basically Stuart's online dating and he's downloading a naked picture of somebody and it's so slow. It's taking like minutes to even get down to the guy's torso. So I think anyone who had a complaint to Ofcom would have been dealing with some sort of rudimentary 1999 Ofcom online form. So maybe that stopped there being as many complaints as there would have been. But um, I was kind of going to ask you actually when you said about RuPaul is like, how do you think it compares to the queer TV or even just the specifically gay TV of today? I think that in uh, Queer as Folk is far less apologetic. I think that it's a show that it's not trying to look for acceptance. It's not trying to look for um, even inclusivity. It's not aiming for a social agenda. It's just giving a giving visibility to a reality and i think that that's the difference i think that today shows there's uh, there's a lot of strife uh, for inclusivity and i think that it's very important that it's there and um, i think that a lot of it tends to go on a road that i'm not that keen on as part of entertainment which is oh please accept me you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, oh, it's not just giving visibility, it's giving visibility and looking for that, for that acceptance pack, which I think is, uh, is needed. So I think it has a place in today's television. I just don't think that that was Russell T. Davies' no. aim with this show. I, I think he wasn't looking for acceptance at all. Because we, we've just watched, finished watching Pose, uh, and we loved the first series. And again, if you've not seen Pose, it's it's basically exploring the the trans community in New York City and the ball scene during the 80s. And the first series was fantastic. The characters were kind of let loose. They could did, do what they want. But I just felt the whole second series was... Not the third one. You're sorry, about the sorry. Third. Yeah. I just felt that the whole third series um, that's just aired... Was was again? It was that whole, you know, we we want to we want to fit in and, and and assimilate rather than kind of celebrate everything that makes them unique and, and amazing, and it, and it was that kind of all the characters wanted to find acceptance among, you know, the kind of cisgender peers or, or whatever. And I think the program lost its kind of political punch there, and it was a real shame because it was su- it's such a great series to start with. I think that uh, I completely agree. I think the first two seasons of Pose were really good and then the third one kind of focused on giving everyone a redemption story even the ones that were sort of the villains of it suddenly everyone had a a redemption story and everyone had an acceptance story whereas i if you look at the end of of the second series i don't feel they needed it i think that the second series ended up in a way that these characters are still human they're still flawed i still love them I, I didn't need that extra uh, that extra beat. And I think that Queer as Folk was really good in respect that it focuses on the characters, but it doesn't focus on how uh, the 
public perceives those characters. So the acceptance that they seek is Nathan seeking the acceptance of of, of his mum. I, I don't know, I can't remember even in the second series, but Stuart never gets a redemption story. Stuart never gets a, um, a, a, a an approach of his parents. Well, I, I think the thing about Queer as Folk, and, and it's it's paramount to a lot of great television, is there's only 10 episodes. So it's kind of Russell T. Davis was like, don't quit while I'm ahead. You know, he knew that he'd crafted something. I have to say the second series, well, there's, there's a first series, and then I think there's two specials. The two specials, in my eyes, are not really canon. Um, it all goes a bit weird towards the end. And actually, Stuart and Vince, spoiler alert here, but Stuart and Vince end up going off together. And it's kind to of the US as well. Yeah, they it? go off to the US and he shoots somebody and it, and it alludes that they're an item. And I just, it doesn't really feel that that's how their story would have ended. But I think there was a lot of, you know, because it had built up such a fandom so quickly, I think there was probably a lot of pressure from, from, um, from the network or whatever to, to give them a, a, a sort of quote-unquote happy ending. But yeah, I mean, overall, in those kind of 10 episodes, so much happens, but you don't need to keep flogging a dead horse. Do you know what I mean? You don't need to keep things running just for them to make an impact. And, you know, people always talk about mm. what's the best comedy programme. People always say, well, I think it's Nighty Night, but a lot of people will say, what's his face? The one in the hotel. Uh, Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. And how many, there's about 10 episodes of that as well, isn't there? So, you know, it, it's quite interesting. I think sometimes less is more. And, you know, in, particularly in this country where television budgets are not as big as they are in the States. I mean, you know, it's very unlikely that we'd ever make a programme like Game of Thrones in this. I mean, I know it's filmed in this country, but, you know, we probably wouldn't be able to finance it. But I think what we do really well in this country is because we have limited budgets for television, the stories are so perfectly crafted that you can tell those stories in six episodes, eight episodes, ten episodes, and you don't need to do any more because so much effort has gone into that. And 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 I think, you know, but I suppose, you know, we're just so accustomed now to series running and running and running and running. I mean, I, I look at programs like Breaking Bad and it's like however many series and people are like, you've never seen it, you'd love it, you'd love it. And I was like, I just can't face it from a kind of time point of view. It's like, I've got a life to lead. Do I really want to devote that much time of my life to all these episodes? And that's, you know, I, I maybe I'm biased because I'm British, but I think for me, you know, that kind of six episode arc, eight episode arc is, um, is it can be just as powerful as a series that runs and runs forever. Yeah, I really agree. And I think if you look at something like Fleabag and the impact that had culturally in just two seasons, I think completely agree. I think the only thing I would say is that obviously when you love watching telly, you do just want as much of it as possible. And that's the benefit of the like big budget American TV shows that's just like churning out more and more. But with a, a kind of sensitive and like a culturally impactful thing like Queer as Folk, I'm glad it didn't run on forever it could have been awful i mean so the sort of um the like lesbian version of that is the l word which is like the season six so there are five seasons of the l word which were sort of normal dramery bits and bobs somebody dies somebody gets together etc etc and then it got to series six and they turned it into a murder mystery and it's like famed among queer women to be like the worst fucking series ever <laughs> And um, and so I think, yeah, that's exactly what would have happened to Queer as Folk had it been. I mean, I don't know what happened with the American version. Did you guys watch that? So I only watched a couple of episodes, but it was... Uh, so the American uh, version was very much for the US audience. So it, it was very, very tame. It was very, very... Um, you know, it was kind of like this very almost um, Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place. It, it, it was kind of that type of show, just with uh, with queer people. Um, I don't think it lasted a, long, a lot, actually, the, uh, the American version. Or at least I, I wasn't... I, I wasn't hooked. I watched a few episodes and I wasn't hooked as when I watched the first episode of of, of Grace Folk, the UK version. At the mm. moment... I less, did it have less drug, less drug use, less underage sex um, I, I, well I think it definitely didn't have any underage sex they were all adults um, I'm not sure about the drug use and, and that's the thing the the US version I, I don't even find it memorable I'm struggling I, I can picture the faces of, uh, of some of the actors but for the most part I don't even remember it where again there's parts of the UK version uh, and again particularly that first episode that are forever ingrained in my brain and 
uh, and that longevity in my memory, to me, it says a lot about the quality of the show. Not that I'm a standard of what quality TV is. It's just for me what quality TV is. Just quickly back on the sort of um, inclusivity acceptance theme. It just is interesting kind of back in what people always say are the reason that kind of like queer venues and queer clubs and gay clubs have closed down is because now because of like more acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community that basically is a lot easier for gay people to go into straight clubs with their straight friends or like you could bring a straight friend into a gay club and so there's less of that defined line of like this is a straight pub this is a gay pub like there is in Queer as Folk and I think the TV we've got now, not Pose, because Pose is obviously exclusively about trans, um, the trans community and ballroom and stuff, but it's actually a period piece. But I think what you see now with queer characters in shows is it's the inclusivity of like, oh, we can all be friends and I've got one gay friend in my big sprawling friendship group, as opposed to what was quite popular in the 90s and noughties, which is, oh, this is a gay show, every single character in this show is going to yeah. be gay. Yeah, completely agree. I'm... I'm... And to be fair, I think that Queer as Folk, to some extent, the main characters are, um, are gay, but they do try to include a little bit more uh, sort of the straight aspect. Again, Vince's family, Nathan's mum, Nathan's family and Nathan's best friend. So they do try to uh, sort of bring in, and there is an element of inclusivity because they all end up going to the same bars in Canal Street. But all, uh, Nathan's mum uh, goes a lot to the gay bars with Vince's mum. Uh, and uh, Nathan's friend also goes to um, Canal Street a few times as well. So there is that element of bringing people in. But it, but it's quite interesting because it's almost like a reverse of what gay characters were in British television at that time. Because all the straight characters, if you like are on the fringes, and they're almost brought in for comic relief. Um, uh, Vince's mum, Nathan's friend, they're kind of the jester of, of the show. I know that, that that's not exclusively true. There are obviously moments, you know, um, with Stuart and his parents and, uh, you know, with, with, with Nathan's mum and things like that. But, but for me, it's quite interesting how they've kind of taken taken that away and it's kind of if you're not if you're not a gay character we're not really going to take you seriously um which i suppose mm. is what many queer people would have thought in terms of their representation before then so it's a little bit of reverse inclusivity as shows in the uk at that time would have fringe gay characters that were included within the straight communities this is the reversed approach yeah yeah but and I, and I think even today like you know, most dramas, most television um, soap operas and things like that, they will have, you know, good representation of LGBTQ characters or, you know, and, and, and other protected characteristics. But I don't think we've had a programme where it puts the spotlight on a particular group of people like that. And and, and, I, and again, from what you were saying, Beth, it's quite interesting because I never really put it into into this kind of context, but maybe that is a positive thing. In that you know we do kind of have blended friends friendship groups now. We're not we're not all exclusively going out on a Friday night with our straight friends, with our gay friends, you know, um, and and maybe that is a positive thing. I mean, certainly you know if we think about our lifestyle and and, and how we mix with people, it is kind of quite mixed, isn't it? Yeah, it's so, definitely mixed. And it's I think it's also good to see. And going back to one of your points, Beth, and that you made about uh, sort of how sort of queerest form um, would pave the road for other shows to exist as well i think not just uh, I, I think that it it's not just other shows or other queer shows but i think that for me i i, I think that it definitely started the process of sort of integration rather than uh, inclusivity in terms that a lot of tv shows um uh, now you have the gay characters but again that the character arc is not about necessarily them about being included within the straight life or, or the group of friends. They're already integrated and they already uh, live the lives uh, without needing that uh, sort of coming out necessarily uh, part of the story. They're there, they're gay, they have, um, uh, they have their straight friends, 
they do all of these activities integrated. It's just, yeah, it's it's kind of like a non-topic for a for a lot of shows. Yeah, but at the same time, as a, as a gay man watching a, a drama series, I don't want to see somebody who's been straight washed at the same time. You know, yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm not saying that everybody has to be unapologetically queer in whatever TV program you want to watch, but you know, if you look back at, the, at our collective history it's been a struggle to get here. And I yeah. don't think we can just brush that under the carpet. I think you need to be constantly reminded of that. We, we You turn on the news and there is still, you know, um, instances of homophobia in this country and, you know, and, and, and looking at what's happening around the world. You can't just, you can't just be like, oh, well, visibility is fine. Now let's move on to the next cause. Like it's going to be a struggle mm-hmm. and it's going to be a struggle throughout our entire life. But it depends on the show. I don't think that there are shows that necessarily just straight wash uh, the characters. I mean, there's these um, show from the US. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Beth. It's called Happy Endings. Uh, mm. It, it was kind of like, like Friends, but it was more diverse. <laughs> so there was an interracial yeah. couple. There was, a, uh, there was a gay guy. But it was kind of the same, a, a very similar concept. It was just a group of friends. Um, and I don't feel in that show that the gay character is straight washed. Uh, he just happens to be gay and he lives his life. He just happens to have groups of friends that are straight. So um, the way that they portray the character and the things that he does and the places that he goes, um, I don't. I don't feel that that show particularly straight washed that character. That being said, it, it must be a fine line, I suppose. To and some shows must definitely go there in terms of stray washing. Well, um, yeah, what's a good, what's the sort of example of a straight washed gay character? Will and Grace. The whole thing. I mean, I, I, to be fair, I've, I've not seen a lot of Will and Grace. I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's, I, I, I watch it now and I've seen it recently and I just kind of cringe. Uh, and I think it's, it's testament to the fact that they tried to bring it back and everyone thought, oh, it's going to be amazing. It's about queer people, but actually it's not. It's about straight people pretending to be queer people. So the part that I disagree is the fact that I love Will and Grace, particularly the original seasons. But the part that I do agree, if you watch Will and Grace, Chuck is very um, sort of out loud, proud. He lives his life. He's a gay man. Um, the character of Will, I feel it is very straight washed. He's basically a gay man trying to live a, a straight man's life. And whereas he still has sex with men, he still likes men, and he's not apologetic about it, he still feels very sort of assimilated, if you like. He's... And in what way does he try and live a straight man's life? Like, I haven't watched Will and Grace for quite a few years, so I'd be interested to hear what you think. I, I think that he, he makes these massive effort to sort of to fit in with the boys and uh, and fit in with the boys' clubs in uh, and with particularly with his straight boss when he goes into uh, working one of the law firms. And actually, it kind of backfires to somewhere because at, at some point he ends up going out with uh, a character played by Patrick Dempsey who's a sports reporter. And, and again, it's him trying to fit in within the sports world uh, as, a straight, uh, as a straight man. Um, he does seem, uh, the character does seem to have some... For me, it's always come across that he's got a lot of internalised homophobia. That's that's how I kind of, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm a huge fan. I've not seen, you know, as many episodes as you, but it's kind of almost like what is played for is comic effect is actually is actually, for me, it doesn't translate as that. And sometimes it does seem that he's trying to hide. I, and I think, that, I, I think that that's probably on purpose in terms of giving him sort of the, that counteracting effect of the character of Chuck that is completely the opposite. So, I, again, I'm not sure whether he's purposely trying to straight wash him, but I think it's just for comedic value to try and put that contrast between him and, uh, and the character of Chuck. But a lot of times... He, Throughout the eight seasons, there's a lot of times where he actively tries to hide the fact that he's gay. Mm. And you'd, well, I mean, you'd expect that for a bit of the comedic value, like you say, but you'd expect there to also be a character arc where he becomes a lot more comfortable and he's kind of, you know, living a lot more freely. And I don't think he does. And that's the thing. I think the character grows, but 
I don't think he particularly, I, I, and I don't think it's particularly addressed. I'm not sure whether sort of in the psyche of the character it might be there, but I don't think that he goes through that arc uh, at any point, and I, even in the latter seasons, because when he meets um, the character that played by Patrick Dempsey, I can't remember what series it is, but it's quite advanced series. It's not series one, series two, from the age. It's probably one of uh, one of the last. So he's still on that struggle, uh, even even at the end, which again I think it's very different characters from from Queer as Fog. Um, but you kind of can see a little bit that same contrast or that same dynamic between Beans and Stewart, uh, where Beans at the beginning he kind of tries to hide a lot, but I think that the difference is that the character of Beans actually has that arc and actually progresses and comes out of work and goes through that process of of actually saying, you know what, making fun of people just for being gay is not right. Mm. He goes through that arc. And, and I think that's the thing, isn't it, that the whole series embodies for me is that there's no need for any queer person to feel shame. That programme, for all its rights and wrongs, is really a celebration of everything that is brilliant about being queer. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's kind of a... a it, it, it's a very much a pinprick in history at that time of how far collectively we've all come, but it's also holding a mirror up, as I said before, and saying, actually, there's still a hell of a lot of long way for us all to go. Um, and I think he's done that. He did that with um, Russell T Davies did that with, with Queer as Folk. And he did that with, with, as I say, Cucumber. And obviously now more recently, he's gone on to do It's a Sin, which again has kind of gone back in time. And that's really interesting because I think there's a lot of, queer kids that are growing up nowadays that would have no concept of what the AIDS crisis was and, and, and what that kind of thing. And I think that program came at such a vital time because it reminds people that, do you know what, what we've got now, don't take that for granted. Yes, we've got gay marriage. Yes, you know, we can adopt and all that kind of stuff, but don't take it for granted because it can just be snatched away from you at any second, as we've seen in all different parts of the world where it's still happening now. And I think for me, if you look at those kind of three series, you know, if you look at Queer as Folk, and I know Russell T Davis has done amazing other programs as well, um, obviously Doctor Who, which I'm a huge fan of, um, and he, you know, kind of brought back, well, he did the Christopher Eccleston series, didn't he? Um, mm. With um, Billy Piper as well, who I love. Yeah, I loved that series. Brilliant. And again, you know, it was just, you know, they. well, I know she went on to do, she went on with David Tennant, but that first series was just brilliant and they were so great together. And I think if you look at if you look at Queer as Folk, then Cucumber, Banana and Tofu, and then It's a Sin, there's kind of three almost trilogies there of, of looking at, you know, for, th- throughout, throughout time. And I think, you know, he's, his contribution to, to that kind of collective genre, if you like, that kind of um, art output has, has been really prolific. And I think in 20 years' time, if we're, if we're all still doing this, we'll probably be having the same conversation looking back 40 years in in the past and saying queer as folk it's still as impactful as it was as it was then just like people are saying that paris is burning is still as impactful as 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 that was when that came out and i think we'll still be having those conversations because those issues are not going to go away um yes everything's getting better but sometimes things take a step back and i think programs like this just remind us of to be grateful but also to, to to carry on fighting and, you know, above all that, they're great pieces of entertainment as well. Yeah, and I think that we're going to end up having a, an episode in 20 years talking about why I still love Will and Grace and he doesn't. And that's <laughs> the part of the culture thing where we'll continue to bicker. Uh, amongst but ourselves. I think, I think, I mean, I think that's, that's you know, one of the things that we've talked about on our podcast is, is the humour side of things as well in the, you know, the American humour and the British humour is so, so different. Um and I, and I think that's the thing. And you would, it was really interesting when you were talking talking about remakes before. And it's like when I, I never saw the Queerest Folk US remake and um, I've not seen the Office US uh, remake. And the other one that I've not seen as well, one of my favourite, I, I love Julia Davis. I think she's an absolute genius, a living legend. Anything she does touches to gold. Anything she touches turns to gold as far as I'm concerned. And she did a great series on Sky Atlantic called Camping and they've remade that in America. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I can't bring myself to watch it because it's like, it's like Sam Smith covering Donna Summer's I Feel Love. Why touch perfection? Do you know what I mean? Why touch <laughs> perfection? Um, but I appreciate that people 
find different things funny and and you have to you have to remake things for for, for different audiences. I mean, look at how quickly he went from being Mother Ter- Mother Teresa and talking about inclusivity and the good <laughs> impact of Russell T Davies to saying some Sam Smith remake is a crap. Beth, this is what I have to put up with 24/7. I mean, <laughs> what I have to live with. I mean, you you were there teaching love to everyone and inclusivity and the importance of of, of the show that Russell T. Davies uh, T. Davies done. And two minutes later, you're saying that Sam Smith version of I Feel Love is crap. No, I didn't. I, I didn't say that. You are taking words out of my mouth. Sam Smith, I have respect for them, but don't touch perfection. That's all I'm saying. Oh, it's so. I mean, I haven't heard the Donna Summer cover by sam smith and i'm a sam i'm a closeted sam smith fan (laughs) like i don't really like i have really poppy taste in music and i have like very all my friends are into like really trendy stuff all the time trying to think of new like get get new bands etc and i'm very very poppy so i kind of listen to sam smith on the sly like privately and i can't believe i haven't heard this call i haven't heard this cover what the yeah fuck? yeah no if you if you have to do a cover of i feel love go for bronsky beat don't don't go to sam smith i, I appreciate that they've got some great songs but you know maybe give that one a wide berth okay okay well no i'm definitely gonna listen to it after this <laughs> Amazing. Oh, it's been so good to chat to you both. One final question before, um, I feel like we almost have answered this question already, but the one I kind of am asking everybody in the series is, if somebody had never heard of Queer as Folk before, they've been living under a rock, they were born in the in space and they've been in a spaceship for all these years, <laughs> how would you persuade them that they needed to watch it? That's a really good question. So... From me, I would say that if you want to understand and know the things that I've done, they're all there on the screen on Queer as Fog. <laughs> if you want Bender's life story. Yeah. I, love I, it. I feel like we're going to have words after this recording. Uh, <laughs> I'm now a little bit concerned. As well. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I think that what I would say to someone is that if you want to know what gay life was and what to a lot of extent gay life still is then there's your your view you don't have to take someone's story and imagine it is there the image in front of you of what it's like so I, mm-hmm. I think that even so many years later it's still very very much an accurate representation of what Canal Street uh, is like and what um, sort of those different stages of gay life yeah, I like. Yeah, I mean, I I've never lived in Manchester. Obviously, been out on Canal Street and been to the gay village. But I I grew up just outside of York in in North Yorkshire, and then I moved to Birmingham. And it was kind of watching this program sort of four years before I went to university. It was all it was almost kind of like preparing me for what was to come. That you know I was going to move to this big city. I was going to find myself. I was going to get this great group of friends, and have this access to this kind of you know queer lifestyle if you like where I can meet all these amazing people and from all different backgrounds and 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 kind of really be myself and really find out who I am and 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 what I am and stuff but in terms of if people have never seen this program before for me it's ultimate punk television there has been nothing like this since it aired and I can't see that them ever making a program like this ever again so yeah it's it's unapologetically euphoric and it's it's a snapshot in time, um, but yeah, it's if you want to know what it was like to be a queer person in Britain in that particular time, then you know go and watch it. But also realise that a lot of what that program holds a mirror up to is still relevant today. I, I think that's the main thing. Mm. The program, you know, we've talked about where it's not great in some areas, but it has aged exceptionally well. Um, and I think it still raises a lot of issues that we're, you know, I mean, we're talking about them here and now, aren't we? So, uh, yeah, for me, that's kind of the lasting impact of that show. So, uh, to be fair, I'm just interesting. Uh, so, I'm just interested. What would you say? What would what would be your answer to your own question? I love this. You've interviewed me as much as I've interviewed you, which is so good. What I would say is, again, is it? Yeah, it's an amazing snapshot of. Also, like, because I'm kind of like a little bit, I think because I've just come off the back of editing an episode about skins, 
which is obviously a lot, yeah, a lot about like house party culture and teenage years and stuff. I think I'm really in the mindset of like how partying and drugs and stuff are portrayed on TV. And I think there was a, the sort of like clubbing and raving and drug taking culture of the 90s is a really interesting part of British history. And I think as well as the queer side and the gay representation, I think it's a really interesting snapshot of that moment in time that was a kind of like euph euphoric, like clubbing scene that was in a response to what was an incredibly dark time before with HIV and AIDS. And I think, and I think, uh, yeah, I think that's why it's definitely worth watching. The thing I would say is that you need to book, you need to make sure you're going on a night out soon. Cause I was literally watching it yesterday and I was like, I want to, I want to go to the club. I want to go clubbing so much. Yes. And, and I think it's so true. I mean, you know, I know I gave that kind of little um, science bit at the start, you know, in the historical context, but you know, as a country as well, like the 80s was such a dark time, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, didn't like Margaret Thatcher and, and what she stood for. And then obviously the Conservative government carried on. And I think, you know, with everything that happened there, and then you kind of came into the 90s, I think it was such release. And regardless of whether you liked the political change that came in in 1997, you know, when New Labour came into power, again, it was that kind of that kind of watershed moment for the country where, you know, it was, it was cool Britannia, the Spice Girls, you know, everything seemed possible. And I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting actually. And I completely forgot about Skins because that was an amazing series. Again, it kind of dwindled towards the end and there was kind of a weird reboot, if I remember rightly, is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, where they kind of changed the cast and I was like, but kept some of them. But again, these are all programs, again, that are products of their time, but yet still still stand the test the test of time and and maybe that's something to do with our living memory as well but I, I really hope not I really hope that in 20 years time we will be able to talk about these programs with 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 clout and they'll still have that relevance that they do today mm, I hope so too thank you both of you so much is there anything you want to direct people to obviously the bareback podcast anything more yeah if you want to follow us we're on instagram at bareback podcast on Twitter, we are at BearBackPod. Uh, and we're on Facebook. You just search for us. That's what you need But yeah, we're, we're new episodes every Friday. So yeah, tune in if you can. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much. And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was produced by me, edited by me. Music was by the beautiful musical mastermind that is Iora. You can check her out on Spotify. She's always got new things bubbling away. And just generally, if anyone wants to come on the pod, you've got a TV-related story to tell, please come the bloody hell along because I'm always looking for new people. You don't have to be a razzle-dazzle celebrity. You just have to have something to say about television. So come on down. Anyway, that's all, I think. Bye-bye.